깊은 가을밤 잠에서 깨어난 제자가 울고 있었다 그 모습을 본 스승이 기이하게 여겨 제자에게 물었다 무서운 꿈을 꾸었느냐 아닙니다 슬픈 꿈을 꾸었느냐 아닙니다 달콤한 꿈을 꾸었습니다 그런데 왜 그리 슬피 우느냐 제자는 흐르는 눈물을 닦아내며 다시 막히 말했다 그 꿈은 이루어질 수 없기 때문입니다 백번 잘하다가 한번 실수하면 그한번 실수 때문에 바로 쫑날 수 있는 곳이야 everyone and welcome to the third episode of our podcast heroic purgatory an asian cinema podcast my name is john and with me as always is my co-host jason jason how are you doing i'm fine thanks john how are you i'm pretty good um can't complain today we'll be talking about uh we'll be shifting gears towards south korea and we'll be talking about kim ji woon's 2005 film a bittersweet life but before we get to that first uh we'll catch up with our lives uh what have you been doing since last we talked jason well i've started reading bonfire of the vanities again and um i've got to the inciting incident the thing that causes all the drama and the book is definitely picking up now so i think i should uh find it a lot more easier to get into because it's becoming much more compelling uh, what so what made you give it another go it's regarded as a classic of american literature so obviously there's that aura around it and i want to be able to say i've read it it would make for a good dinner party conversation i have the same thing i have a hard time not finishing a book that i've started no matter how badly i disliked not not always but i mean i've gotten better at it recently i sort of uh i a couple of years ago i i i was part of a book club briefly and they they're the ones that sort of instilled the point that you know if a book is bad you don't have to finish it and they were pretty uh pretty adamant about that philosophy and that sort of got, kind of gotten me lately into you know I, i don't have to finish everything everything that i everything that i start reading 
um, no matter how bad I disliked it. But I used to be that I it just uh, I just would not be able to put something down, may, maybe because of spite. Like I finished the uh, first two books of um, Marcel Proust's. Uh, I forget the name of the of the of the book series that he's written. Is it like um, Time Regained or something? Yeah, In Search of Lost Time. Yeah. So I yeah. started the first book. I mean, they're, they're maybe. I mean, they're they're of course uh, considered masterpieces of world literature, but they're also the most boring books maybe that have <laughs> ever been written. Uh, mm. It's almost entirely lyrical. There is hardly any plot to them. Well, there there is a plot, but so I, I started the first book. I struggled to finish it, and then I started the second book. It was even harder, but I just I I just forced through it. And the same thing with Moby Dick. Moby Dick was another chore uh, that I that I just felt that I had to finish it because, you know, it was just, I started it. Uh, but anyway, uh, keep going with your, uh, with your week, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of, uh, films, uh, what did I watch? What did I watch? Um, I watched a Japanese short film called Idol by, um, Ryushin Lindsay, and he's an Anglo-Japanese filmmaker who's based in the UK and Japan. And um, he has a political slant to his works. So even if it seems to be um, ostensibly uh, a safe subject, such as baseball, he'll find some underlying um, darkness to it, such as, um, well, again, with baseball, uh, Kokutai, his debut film, it's a 10-minute experimental short, um, black and white, and it sh- um, shows the um, so, so ceremony, so, ceremonies surrounding um, uh, baseball in high schools across Japan, and it has um, some echoes to fascistic events in the past, and it's shot in black and white to really emphasize that link. And Idol, his latest one, is about the world of pop idols, specifically um, child idols. And instead of the glitz and glamour of that world, it looks at, uh, it has a dark story where a, a single mother who's driven by financial desperation takes a really, really, uh, or makes a really bad decision as she tries to get her daughter into the lineup of an idol group. Uh, what else have I watched? Oh, yeah. We've had the Music Lab Festival showing Japanese films for free on the internet. And throughout all of September, they've got 10 short films on their website. So japanesefilmfest.org. And um, these were made in the last uh, two years. And um, they're still getting releases in mini theaters across Japan. The one I watched, uh, well, the one I watched today is called My Lovely Days, which is a love letter to the Heisei era, like um, late 80s, throughout the 90s, as two characters reminisce about um, pop culture of that time period. And if you, uh, if you're in your 30s uh, and you're into Japanese culture, you'll recognize a lot of references. Is that still going on? It's still going on up until the end of September. So. Um, Maybe we could tweet about it so people can see these films. Ten films, short films, and they're all free to watch. Oh, that's great. Uh, and is it uh, region restricted? Uh, I think the only region that cannot access these films is Japan. All right. So uh, this has been a sort of a, a another slow couple of weeks for me. Uh, I watched... I. Uh, a lot of my choices were sort of influenced by our last discussion because we talked, we mentioned video games last time. 
Uh, so I, I kind of, I, I don't know why I decided to maybe give a, a couple a go. So I, I restarted my play on Final Fantasy VII. The PlayStation or PlayStation 4 release? Actually, I'm, I'm playing it on the Switch. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I only played it for like a few hours and then I put it down. I've been playing Mass Effect instead. Uh, mm. I'm enjoying that quite a bit. And again, when I'm saying I'm playing, it's it's an hour a day, if 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 at all. As far as science fiction goes, it's a very it plays on a lot of essentially very very traditional and stereotypical tropes of science fiction. I don't I'm not seeing anything new, but it's still it's a very fun, very interesting story. The world building is very uh, I like it a lot. It's like all those uh, well known RPGs that have a ton of you know lore that you can explore optionally uh, that build up to the world. If you're that kind of that kind of person, and I really enjoy that. I've I've played the second one, uh, but not the first one or all the rest of the quadrilogy. Yeah, uh, the, I, the the gameplay is a little bit clunky. Like it's it, it's a nightmare to deal with the with the inventory system. Like it's you have to uh, you, you like there's an item limit and you have to remove items one by one. Uh, at least I haven't like that. The, there's no way to like I like I have to get rid of items periodically because my inventory gets filled all the time. And you and like removing items is like an extremely tedious product where you have to click them one by one and then confirm a yes on the screen and then do it another one. It's just, it, it's don't a make bit any clunky. mistakes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I also started watching uh, the uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. It's a it's an American TV comedy. Mm, mm, yeah, uh, it's I, I'm I'm generally not a big fan of police procedurals, but it's it's a comedy, so it's it's pretty fun. Uh, Andy Samberg from SNL. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's it's a, by the same people who wrote who made the American Office and Parks and Recreation. Okay. Yeah, and it's so, and you can tell like there's a lot of the same actors recycled in secondary roles and the same style of humor more or less, uh, the same tropes. I there's, there's uh, one actor in it, Andre uh, Brower, I believe. Yeah. And he was in Homicide: Life in the Streets. Yeah, I've seen a couple of episodes of that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a like a real dark police procedural. Exactly. Yeah, uh, and uh, he's he's maybe the best character and actor in the in the show. Uh, he plays like a real straight man essentially, and um, and I also I didn't get a chance to watch them, but last time we also talked about Anne Hui, mm. and uh, I lined up a couple of her films on Amazon Prime, and I think I'm maybe gonna try to watch them to watch one of them tonight or. Uh, sometime before this weekend ends. Um, I was supposed to do it yesterday, but I got caught up in um, in some work. It, it, it's funny uh, when before we uh, when I approached you with the show, I did it because I had a lot of free time, and I said I should use the free time to <laughs> yeah. to do something. But as soon as we started, then all of a sudden my my work just spiked up. So I've been yeah. I, I don't have as much time as I would like to, as opposed to when I had before. But I think it's temporary. It's probably going to go down soon. So I'm hoping yeah. I'll go back to watching more films, but I'm definitely gonna try to 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 do at least one uh, Anhui movie uh, before before this weekend ends or Monday at the latest. Ah, that's that's a good segue to the news announcements, actually. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, because she won the Golden Lion for Lifetime Achievements uh, at the Venice Film Festival for, and uh, she also had one, her latest film, Love After Love, playing at the festival. Okay, yeah, that's that's great. That's great news for her. John Berra, who's the uh, editor and one of the writers at V Cinema, he's got a great review over at Screen Daily, uh, and he highlights the mise en scène, the costumes, everything 
Uh, but he finds the performances, it sounds like they're uh, a little underwhelming. Um, do you know who won the uh, Golden Lion? Because uh, I, I, I was planning to look it up and then I forgot. Ah, Chloe Zhao's US drama Nomadland. Oh, I, I know her. She's, I mean, uh, I, I guess she's she's properly themed for a podcast. She's an Asian-American filmmaker. Mm. And um, she got some attention with her first film, but the one that I've seen from her is uh, Rider, the the film that she did before this. And it, it's a very, very uh, interesting uh, drama about uh, a rodeo. I think it was called Rider. Uh, let, me, let me double check the film. The Rider, yes. Uh, a couple of years ago or three years ago. And um, it's a it's a very you know quiet drama about uh, rodeos in in the rural United States who uh, a rodeo family one of the members of which uh, suffered severe brain damage uh, from okay. falling off a horse, uh, but then has to get back because there's they have no other means of income, and it, it's a it's a it's, they use actually the real family that's that went through this as actors in the film. In that and and it shows like the acting is not great, but it's the the film is nevertheless uh, really good, and I, I recommend it. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'll definitely be checking this out when I when there's a chance to 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 see it. Uh, probably not in theaters, but as soon as it comes to home video. Yeah, and as previously mentioned, uh, Kyoshi Kurosawa won the Silver Lion for Wife of a Spy. And you've seen that one, right? I've not seen it. No, I've seen most of Kurosawa's works. Well. Apart from his V cinema days, and um, I've just had, yeah, I've just been reading reviews of it, and it sounds like the highlight is uh, Yu Aoi's performance and the script by Ryosuke Hamaguchi and uh, Tadashi Nohara. Who uh, so Kyoshi Kurosawa teaches at uh, Gaidai. Uh, Tokyo University of the Arts uh, graduate school uh, filmmaking and Ryosuke Hamaguchi and Tadashi Nohara both uh, are both former students of his so they wrote the script for this uh, film a television film which was aired on NHK earlier this year and the script is one of the highlights particularly its focus on uh, Yu Aoi's character but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to you know, like I like I mentioned a couple of episodes ago I, I want to check out more Kyoshi Kurosawa films and this would be probably a nice a nice one to do so. Yeah, you, uh, you prefer drama more than um, horror, don't you? Well, y- yeah. Well, anything other than horror. Horror is just a genre that I'm not particularly fond of. But it's not. I I, I, I try not to dismiss it. It's. Uh, it would be worth you checking out. Um, License to Live, if you haven't seen it already. It's got uh, Hidetoshi Nishijima, uh, Koji Yakusho, and um, it. It's about. A teenager who falls into a coma and he wakes up 10 years later. He still has the mind of a teenager, but his family is broken up and he tries to reunite them with the help of uh, Koji Yakusho. And it's really heartbreaking at the end. All right. So so I guess we we can, uh, unless you have any other piece of news that you'd like to, to share? Uh, no. Okay, so we'll transition to the film of the of uh, the episode, and that is again uh, a bittersweet life, a uh, South Korean film released in two thousand five, uh, written and directed by Kim Ji Woon. Uh, it was made. It was the um, the fourth film from from uh, Kim Ji Woon, I believe. Uh, so his hmm. first was the Quiet Family, the Foul King. 
A Tale of Two Sisters. I'm trying to remember if you made anything between A Foul King and A Tale of Two Sisters. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But but then after A Tale of Two Sisters, he certainly made A Bittersweet Life. And that started a, a first uh, a, a three-film collaboration with uh, Lee Byung-hoon, the star of the film, with whom he made uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, a very funny comedy. And I saw The Devil in 2010. Yeah. So would you like to do us the honor and summarize the film for us? So... Um... In a bit of sweet life, Lee Byung-hung plays Sun Woo, a loyal enforcer to a gang boss named Mr. Kang. His gang is facing trouble from a rival mobster's uh, lot, and a rival mobster's named Bake, and he's trying to muscle in on their business. Kang uh, has other things on his mind, such as the possibility that his young girlfriend, Hee Soo, is cheating on him. And so Kang asks Sun Wu to watch over her with the order to deal with her if she is straying. Sun Wu does find evidence of her betrayal, but defies his boss and lets her live. This defiance places him on the hit list of his boss and also Bake, the rival gangster, and Sun Wu finds himself alone in the world. All right. Thank you for that. So uh, why don't you tell us when did you first see the film and what did you think of it? I first saw it Around 2010, it was the Tartan release. It's going to be a familiar uh, DVD label I'm going to bring up in every podcast. That'll show how important they are in shaping sort of um, Western Asian film fans' uh, watch uh, lists. But prior to that, I'd watched The Quiet Family, which I imported from Korea when I was in high school. And uh, I'd watched A Tale of Two Sisters, uh, another Tartan release, and um, The Good and Bad and Weird in Cinemas. And um, I think I came to a bittersweet life, maybe uh, last but one out of all of those. And uh, I reviewed it for my blog where I went into detail about how I was impressed by the aesthetics and how the film mirrored um, the samurai and drive in having um, a macho guy... um, who exists in a nihilistic criminal underworld. Oh, he doesn't really have much of a character. The character is all explained through his actions and through his surroundings, really. And um, I really enjoyed the action scenes. And from that time, I really, I I have this memory of the, the film, of it all being a fantasy, which is why I'm glad you brought it up in the notes. Because it's very much an existential drama about this guy who's like questioning his place in the world. He's sick of his life as a gangster. And um, there's like, at the time, um, I felt like there was a twist which took it from the realm of realism to fantasy. But we'll talk about that later. That, I mean, that's, that twist has played on my mind ever since. So even, um, I, I rewatched the film for the first time in about nearly a decade for this podcast and i was quite surprised um when reading interviews that maybe this twist was all in my head yeah i agree and i think um so i'll 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 reserve my comments for 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 later but i prefer i don't think the twist that interpretation was the intended interpretation but i prefer it as an interpretation uh, anyway, so I, I I think my circumstances are similar to yours in in on how I watched the film for for the first time. I I think it started with me seeking out after I had become a little familiar with South Korean cinema. I started seeking out more South Korean films, 
and uh, I I ran into a tale of two sisters first, and I will just contradict myself because I've mentioned just a few minutes ago and and in previous episodes that I'm not a fan of horror films. However, this was not the case. This was not always the case. There was a time, especially a, a portion of my high school, that I actually was a big fan of horror films. <laughs> Um, uh, and sort of I, that was towards the end of high school, that's when it's, I started to, to, to move away from them. Uh, but, but I saw, this was at a time when I was a fan and I saw a tale of two sisters and I, um, I really enjoyed it. So I, I tried to seek out more films of, from this filmmaker and, um, and I was really impressed. I had, I, it was not entirely new to South Korean cinema at this point. I was familiar with other filmmakers such as Park Chan-wook and, uh, Bong Joon-ho, uh, and even Lee Chang-dong. And sort of Kim Ji-woon was maybe uh, one of the later direct South Korean directors that I started exploring their filmographies. And I have to say, maybe he's maybe the more commercial of, of the big South Korean names. I don't know if you would agree with that. Yeah, I'd say his films um much more successful in balancing the artistic and the commercial. I, I think so. But yeah, and I, I was I was I really enjoyed it. I you know, at first I saw it as an action film with that final twist at the end that was this all a dream or not. Uh, yeah, and, and I've seen this film multiple times since then. Maybe I watched. I've seen it at least once every year, if not more. Uh, whenever, wow. whenever my friends uh, ask me, ask me, do you can you recommend me Korean films? This is one of the fir- first ten, or maybe even first five that I come up with. Uh, I think it's it's really good for for the reasons that you mentioned. It's a well balanced film that explores the very I think some very complex themes in the life of protagonists without falling into the trap of telling us their whole backstory. It's um it's it's really concise and, and if you know anything about me, you know that I really appreciate conciseness. Um uh concision? Is it concision or conciseness? What's the Con- conciseness. Conciseness, okay. Oh well either way, uh and I think it does that very well. Much like the samurai that you mentioned, um the protagonist here is very much the same. Not only not only influenced by the samurai, but also by I, I got a very prominent spaghetti western vibe like uh similar to the men with no name okay in the sergio leone films uh, in the protagonist but um moving maybe moving on away from our initial opinions this film wears its influences on its sleeve uh and particularly i think it's french new wave influence particularly from jean-pierre melville although you could argue that melville was not or melville whatever however you pronounce it was not part of, of the french new wave he was sort of kind of kind of separate from it and also a lot of spaghetti western influences uh but the melville influences are are really obvious in the quotes uh in the the film begins and ends with a buddhist quote or a buddhist parable and a couple of melville films do that do exactly the same thing yeah the samurai uh begins with a quote from the uh, the way of bushido doesn't it yeah but it's a fake one it's not it's not oh, a real one okay uh, yeah yeah so that's just something that melville made up and i'm not <sighs> sure if if uh he, and he admitted to making up. It's not like he was trying to trick anyone. He just made up something that sounded Bushido-y or, or yeah. Buddhist-y. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and I think, and he did the same thing in the Circular Rouge, uh, the Red Circle, uh, the film that he made, I think, after The Samurai. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I don't know if Kim Ji-woon made, do, did the same thing or if the parables that he used are, are uh, authentic. I read that they are, but I have not been able to find the source. Okay. I, like directors making up quotes is uh, can be comedy gold sometimes. If you watch the film Wild Beasts, uh, it starts with a nonsensical quote and it's laugh out loud funny. But um, to go back to um, 
uh, a bittersweet life. The quote actually, uh, the book, the quotes, the book and the film actually uh, add to the sense that it's a twist. There's a twist in the telling of the story. Okay, so let's 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 talk about the twist. You you gave a summary of the film, and you know it ends in a bloodbath, and then uh, he dies. But then we flash back into him drinking coffee in front of a glass mirror, uh, in front of like a a, a glass that uh, contains his reflection, and he's he starts shadow books, and he seems happy, and that's how the film ends. Yeah, and you can interpret that in two ways. Either that's what he's thinking like right before his death he's like recollecting to a time when he was happy or the whole adventure that he went through was him daydreaming and yeah. now we're back to reality where he imagine imagines like that whole life and is now back to reality and he imagines himself so, uh, as you mentioned earlier that like you thought in his real life well he, he was also a gangster my i have a slightly different fan theory i don't think he's any he has no involvement with the underworld whatsoever i think he's just a, a boring hotel manager and he's imagining an exciting life for him uh and he's like shadow boxing and he he like any imagining it in sort of a a more noble way of 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 a more noble and, and adventurous life for himself <laughs> that, that sounds good to me actually um the way i saw it was throughout the film well at the beginning of the film he's nothing more than an extension of his boss's will and um his behavior as a gangster defines everything about him and he's like the whole movie is just him daydreaming what happens if he goes beyond the boundaries what happens if he rises above his station and um uh, actually falls in love with a girl, defies his boss, and uh, like bad things happen. And it's a fantasy that he's dreaming. Uh, he's dreaming up. So the film slips from realism to um, cartoonish violence. Like all the violence is like over the top throughout the film, but it gets crazier and crazier and more implausible uh, to the point where he's getting stabbed in the kidneys, he's getting shot in the head, and he's still able to fight. That's that's what adds to the fantasy feeling. Like it's it becomes so implausible. Yeah, yeah, and I, for the record, I don't think that's the official interpretation. And I think even the director has said at some interview that, if I'm remembering correctly, that it is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 I agree with you entirely that some like a lot of the evidence points out that it is, especially in how cartoony the not cartoony. I I don't like that word very much, but you know maybe unrealistic. Yeah, hyper violence, lurid. Implausible, yes, mm. uh, it gets because like you're right, he's buried alive, he's tortured, he's stabbed, and he's shot in the head. Of course, from that the way the way the camera rotated the angle, it's hard to tell whether the bullet actually went inside his head or it just scraped him. Like I'm, mm. I've I've seen that scene so many times, and it's always hard to tell because the camera, like it's a it's a weird angle, and then the camera rotates, and then you see the villains with a gun, and it's and he also moves at the same time. He moves his head around, so it's really mm. hard to, to to tell from what angle the bullet came and whether it just scraped the side of his head or if it actually hit him in the head. There's there's definitely viscera flying out, definitely yeah brain cells yeah yeah, but all of that indicates that this is not real. However. Mm. Uh, I think whether or not uh, we go with your interpretation of he was he was an extension of it, he was already a gangster and an extension of himself of himself and he's trying to fantasize what it would be like if he deviated from that 
or whether we go for my interpretation that he, I think that he was just a lowly uh, hotel manager and he's imagining in a more adventurous life for himself, I still can ask the same question as to why do you think he's happy at the end or why do you think this life that he's imagining for himself is the happy life or the sweet life as is the Korean title of the film? Uh, because in, in English, it's translated as the bittersweet life, but in Korean, it's just the sweet life. Uh, a, and and why is that the sweet life for him, in him dying violently at the hands of gangsters? Is it him dying violently? Like, is it a sense of satisfaction that he's able to express his inner anger and rage and take it out on people around him? If I like your interpretation that he's a hotel clerk. So obviously... As a lowly hotel clerk, he's going to be taking orders from these gangsters and he might be pushed around. And if he imagines himself as part of their world, being equal and even better to them, being a Terminator in a sense, um, there, there's real pleasure on his face at the end as he imagines taking all of his enemies out. Yeah, but, but why not? get no why not get away with a girl at the end why you know why why imagine himself dying uh it's a heroic death and i and that's kind of what i'm getting at but but it seems i find that very fascinating it's not a criticism um, i i really like the fact that if if we did take this interpretation his sweet life is a version where he dies heroically instead of killing all the bad guys and and getting away with a girl no i I think it's just him fantasizing. It's like, I'm going back to my real life now. And he's happy. He's, like, in my interpretation, he's a gangster and he finds some satisfaction in all of the um, aesthetics and all of the, um, the lifestyle that he lives. In terms of your interpretation, um, going out with a bang, like when you're in a job, when you're in a service uh, industry, when a customer-facing job, Sometimes you're so full of rage that you want to take it out on others, and you go out with a bang. Yeah, but I what what I'm uh, my uh, so what you said I I don't uh, the, his final smile at the end I don't interpret it as him being happy with his current life because he's still shadow boxing and and you can sort of to me he's still picturing that life he's still he's still fantasizing while he's doing that and he's smiling while doing it so to me his his smile is about his fantasy not his re, not his reality that he's just come back to hmm. and that's why that's why the the, the reason I'm, I'm insisting on this point is because i i distinctly remember when i was uh i was in high school and we did, I think some, some teacher had us do this exercise, this uh, life building or like finding your purpose in life exercise or whatever it was that uh, write, to, to, like a, write your own obituary, obituary type of exercise. I don't know if you've ever encountered something like that. No. It's, it's, it's something that counselors do very commonly or philosophers sometimes you, you see it. Uh, and it was actually a part of a philosophy course that we did. Uh, but it was something along the lines of write your write one obituary as uh, for your like worst case scenario of how your life turned out. Like imagine your life being a complete failure and write that obituary, and then write a second obituary with the best possible case scenario. Like the you've achieved all your goals and uh, you know like your highest possible dreams, your 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 whatever you want to be, and that's your second obituary. And then third, write a realistic obituary of what. Uh, of what you think your life could turn out if you applied yourself. I don't know what's that exercise supposed to achieve, but it's it's an exercise. And I distinctly remember that I mean in my in my best case scenario obituary, 
I die young. I die young after I, after having achieving incredible things. Mm. And I was the only one in class that did that. Everybody died old and rich, and I died young and <laughs> and you know having having cured cancer or something like that. I don't remember exactly what I was, what my heroic act was. It's like James Dean: live fast and die young. Exactly. Yeah, and I. So that's why this this choice fascinates him. If indeed we take this interpretation of him, his his. His uh, fantasy, his his happy place is him dying a heroic death for love and glory at a at a young age after having taken down an entire crime organization. And he's also like something else. The person that he's taken that he, that that finally kills him, and he he's buried alive. He's tortured. He's stabbed. He's shot in the head, and he doesn't die. And the only person that kills him is the only person that he that he legitimately committed an injustice to. Mm. Uh, like the only person who who arguably did not deserve to die was the arms dealer who he killed to get his weapons, and then that's that's uh, whose whose brother ends up killing him, mm. and that's sort of that's sort of a, a poetic justice in a, in a sort of way that he uh, he's essentially he's essentially fantasizing uh, himself as a romantic ideal in a in a nineteenth century romantic uh, adventure novel. Mm. Sorry, I kind of rambled there for a bit, but that's that's kind of how how I see this. I like that interpretation. Anyway, so we we did touch on the action temporarily, uh, and we did kind of mention its um, over the topness, uh, its uh, implausibility. But outside that interpretation, what did you think of the how the action was realized, the the stunts and um, spe- not special effects because this movie doesn't really have. I think it's all stunts. There's no CGI in here, if I'm not mistaken. I thought. They were spectacular. I think um, Kim Ji Woon's uh, camera work was really fluid and um, flowing, and I like that he would go for overhead shots. And uh, were they like um, shoulder-mounted cameras for when um, some Wu's jumping through uh, windows and fires? I found it really kinetic. So every you know all of his all like his character. If we're imagining that it's a uh, a fantasy, or even if he's just an extension of his his job, he's very efficient. He's very quick, and there's such an athleticism to Lee Byung Hung, and that extends to his character. Yeah, and I I liked I liked also except for the final gunfight. I like how brief the bursts of violence are. Uh, there, there's not that many extended fight scenes. There's just, there's one fight scene, then there's quiet and it's story, and then there's another burst of violence, and there's, you know, uh, again, you know, him doing other stuff, and, and then he finally gets to the final fight scene. Mm. Um, and I, I, I liked that approach uh, that the director took. And speaking speaking of the character, I also agree with what you mentioned. Well, we already mentioned this, I guess, but uh, how how blank his character is in in this film yeah it's very cold exterior it's very efficient and again if he's just an extension of his job that's what you want and it isn't until he meets the girl that actually breaks yes and i like how how that is uh is uh, uh underscored by you know looking by the set design in his apartment it, when when you finally get to the apartment for the first time and the second find it's sort of completely blank gray and blank and they're devoid of any uh personal touches uh he doesn't also he doesn't read books when he goes to sleep he doesn't watch tv he doesn't do anything he just goes uh, maybe drinks a beer and then just crashes on his couch he doesn't even have a bed yeah he does have a costume change 
but he prefers to be in his suit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, his apartment is just so impersonal. He's a uh, blank slate on which um, the world of gangsters has written itself upon him. And the moment he shows any individuality, then he gets punished for it. Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah, that's 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 uh, that's precisely, I think, what uh, uh, what his character arc is: is him getting a personality and being uh, getting some individualism and being punished for it. Yeah, and it's uh, just to go back to Jean-Pierre Mel- Melville. The opening of Le Samurai is that blank apartment that Alain Alain Delon is in. So there's echoes to that. Absolutely, and. Going back to the influence a little bit, it's something that always has rubs me the wrong way. Is that a lot of times in in reviews, Kim Ji Woon is accused of of uh, being too heavily influenced uh, by other filmmakers. Like in this case, we mentioned spaghetti westerns, specifically Sergio Leone and uh, Jean Pierre Melville. And he's I I I read I mean I've linked to this interview where he mentions uh, he's sort of uses Tarantino and as an example of well people don't seem to complain uh, that Tarantino does that I don't understand why people are complaining that I do that hmm. and and I, I agree completely in fact I I would say Kim Ji Woon is far better than Tarantino in this regard I I I'll come out and say it I'm I'm not a fan of Tarantino I think he plagiarizes uh, half of his films. And uh, and and whereas Kim Ji Woon doesn't, I think he just very uh, very artistically borrows in style from his influences, but it's still very much his own vision. Whereas I don't think Tarantino has a vision. I think I think he has <laughs> he has an amalgamation that can resemble a, vi- a vision, but not not a personal vision. I felt like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was the closest we, uh, we've gotten to an original vision from Tarantino. I would agree with that. Yes. Yeah, like Kill Bill's uh, a retread of, say, Lady Snowblood, for example. Yes, and I, I think it's it's more of a memories. It's Tarantino trying to recreate his his memories uh, through a nostalgic lens than a vision. But that's yeah. that's in itself is is somewhat of a vision. But anyway, I I, I apologize because I don't want to I don't want to be known as the guy who complains about filmmakers. <laughs> Uh, but but I just it's just something that always rubs me the wrong way because I do don't think it's a fair criticism against Kim Ji Woon's filmography because I I do agree that he is heavily influenced and he wears his influence on the on the sleeve, but he very much filters them through his own lenses and doesn't directly take from them. Yeah, do you think it's like part of a general dismissiveness of Asian cinema, perhaps? I don't think that's the case. I, I think it's something to the, what I mentioned earlier, uh, to the fact that his films are more commercial and more mm. conventionally entertaining. And I think it's just in general, critics have a tendency to dismiss that. Mm. Uh, critics have a tendency to gravitate or take more seriously films that do look like art films uh, and do have that unusual element to them that sort of that kind of separates them away from conventional entertainment. Whereas Kim Ji-woon doesn't, does not belong to that category. His films are, they have a lot of artistic value, but they're also a lot of fun. I, yeah, just an hour ago, I was looking, oh, over an hour ago now, um, I was uh, watching um, Jean-Pierre Melville uh, interviews. And at one point he says, um, one of the purposes of film is to be a commercial product. And I think Kim Ji-woon nails like the sweet spot between commercial and artistic because he takes a very generic story and derivative characters in this film and he overlays a really interesting existential drama with these fantastic um, aesthetics. Absolutely. And I think it speaks to, to just to, to follow up on what you said, the, the story is bare bones. 
mm. it's really bare bones and it, it it i think it's an attestation to his skill as a, both a writer and a director that he's able to take to take such a simple story because if i if like it was uh, it showed in your summary of the plot and if you just read an outline it's an extremely simple story uh, but mm. you know just, just the details that he imbues into them into into his characters especially the main character uh, and especially the way he shows it is make makes it so much gives it so many additional layers to it like uh, like you know the existential question of who he is as a person and what is it that defines him you know uh, and you can even you can even go a step further and say that in both halves of the film what defines him is other people just in different ways in the first half it's his job and his boss specifically that defines who he is and the second half is his uh, love or he so that defines him uh, that defines his actions yeah, I would agree. And uh, I think we should also um, single out Lee Byung-hung for praise because he takes this blank character and he gives him so much emotion. And oftentimes there are like mid-shots or close-ups of him just on his face and his body language is really... It's, at first it's blank, then it becomes really tight with aggression as uh, he's defied by others and um, he refuses to give in. And then it all bursts out in that uh, final speech with his boss where he's like, I've been your loyal dog for so many years. Why did you treat me this way? Yeah. And I think it's an interesting uh, deviation from, you know, his influence, which is like you said, Ellen Delon. And one thing that one key fundamental difference between French cinema and Korean cinema is that the latter is a lot more melodramatic uh, and that shows not that this film is extremely melodramatic. I think it just has the right amount of it, but it's definitely more than its French equivalent. And that shows both in uh, Lee Byung Hyun's performance and in actual the story and the direction of the film. And it's, it matches the tenor of the violence around going on around him. Absolutely. And also, you know, the story of love, too. I mean, you have to have some melodrama for, you know, the motivation of the character. Hmm. And that, that's really subtly done. It's him falling in love. It's like um, cro- uh, intercutting shots of the girl as he gets to know her. Shots of her legs, her face and her arms. Really subtly done. And then um, him observing her with smiles blossoming on his face. Yeah, um, to digress just a little bit. Uh, after, So this was my first, I think... No, this was my second time that I'd seen a Libyan Hooper performance because I had seen Joint Security Area mm. uh, before this, the Park Chang-wook film. I've got that on DVD, but I haven't watched it yet. I recommend it. It's very good. But the second performance of uh, Lee Byung-hoon, th- I mean, the third, the performance of Lee Byung-hoon that I saw after this was his role in the American G.I. Joe movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. It's terrible. It's a terrible film, but he's not bad in it. Uh, he plays, I think, kind of a ninja character. Yeah. Like a, a generic Asian ninja character. Uh, it's a terrible film. Uh, 2008 or 2009. I remember he was in, was it Red 2? What do you mean Red 2? Was that uh, the Bruce Willis film about retired spies? Oh, uh, it's possible. He made, he's, he's sort of, he's maybe one of the few South Korean actors who successfully transitioned into a ho- into Hollywood and yeah. has made quite a few Hollywood films, but I think the GI Joe is the only one that I've seen. And that kind of I mentioned it because that kind of put me off him for a while, uh, and I avoided him for a few months after that because I, I was so disappointed by by the GI Joe film. But but he's a great actor when he when he's given good material. 
absolutely. Um, the good and the bad, the weird. He's really camping it up in there, and he's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I mean that that film is Kim Ji Won going out and uh, and saying, "I just want to make a wall to wall action film." Oh, spaghetti western. It's essentially a spaghetti western uh, film, and I really enjoy that film, but I don't think it's as as meaningful as the bittersweet life. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, how do you feel about say I saw the devil? So that that's a film that I quite enjoy, but I have uh, to rekindle a familiar thing. I I have felt it's gotten maybe a bit too much praise in the West. Okay, I was I was excited to see that film because it was the return of uh, Choi Min Sik uh, mm-hmm. f- from from his hiatus. He took a hiatus in two thousand six and didn't make any films, and that was his his first film after his hiatus. And he'd previously worked with Kim Ji Woon on um, The Quiet Family. Oh yeah, yes, so that was the return. It's it's a great film. Don't get me wrong. I just it, I've seen many lists where they put that as as Kim Ji Woon's top film and mm. as as maybe one of the best South Korean films. I don't think so. I think it's a great film. It's a very good South Korean film, but it's nowhere near uh, Kim Ji Woon's best film and nowhere near one of the best South Korean films. That's that's my only gripe of it. Kind of like like I mentioned with uh, Battle Royale, it's it's I think it's a masterpiece and uh, but I, I I always take objection to people putting things in the wrong perspective. Yeah, it overshadows the rest of the work. Yeah, or to 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 put it more to to be more honest about it, you know, uh, ranking films in a way that I, I don't agree with, uh, because I mean that's that, that, that's what it's all about after all when it comes when it comes to it. But yeah, that that's my only problem. But I do think that the the dynamic between Choi Min Sik and Lee Byun Hoon in the what's the name again? I saw the devil. I saw the devil. Thank you. Uh, yes, that, the dynamic, the, the sort of the cat and mouse game between the two is fantastic. Uh, the way the the both the script and the direction achieves that, and their acting, of course. Yeah, very very brutal film. So if you see it, uh, yeah, you've got our uh, parental advisory, I guess. Oh yes, absolutely. What what did you think of it? Well, I reviewed it in two thousand and thirteen. I actually borrowed it from my local library, and um, I found it really really violent and unpredictable and it, the constant shocks were actually quite enjoyable and i uh choi min six um performance of a evil monster <laughs> was like really convincing and um again it was enjoyable and it, it was scary at so many points and the, i felt like the violence was was oppressive but not too overwhelming yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I do think uh, the film maybe over relied on the shock factor a little bit too heavily. It lingers a little too much on the violence. Yeah, I think so. And I don't know. I it's it's also part. This comes down to personal preference. I don't find the motivation of Lee Byun Hoon's character in that film very compelling. Uh, like the 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 re- re- I need to take revenge because you killed my wife plot has been so overdone, especially in the West. Mm. That I just I'm 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 personally tired of it, but again, that just that I shouldn't hold that against the movie because it's a perfectly acceptable plot plot element. It's just I it's it's not compelling for me personally that much. Could it just be a case of Kim Ji Woon cycling through the different genres and saying I'm going to take this cliche, this cliche, and then um, shoot it on a uh, maximum scale? I absolutely agree, and I think that's what he does with his. I think maybe his first film. The Quiet Family, which is, I don't think it's his best film, but it is my personal favorite of his. It's closer to reality and the character dynamics are really delicious. Yeah, but I do think that maybe his his most original film, anything that he's done after that is sort of a a response or a his interpretation of some 
other genre uh, from the Foul King to A Tale of Two Sisters to A Bittersweet Life to The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. Um, why why I keep forgetting the name of this? Last Stand. The Last Stand, of course. But no, the one that we were just talking about. Oh, uh, Bittersweet Life. Uh, the, I Saw the Devil. I Saw the Devil. I don't know why I keep I keep blanking out on the name. Yeah, that one. They're all they're all kind of uh, book cap- capitalizing on a on a very specific genre and specifically the tropes of the genre. So that's that's how he's built his career around to the only i've seen all of his films the only film that i didn't see is i think his latest one i have not got a which oh, i also um, think stars song kang ho yeah um jin rogue the wolf brigade adaptation right it was on netflix oh no i've seen that one the one that he did before that sorry uh, like it was a period spy film oh age of shadows age of shadows i think that's the only one that i haven't seen it was on uh the bbc but I missed it. Yeah, uh, and I've heard he, he was, you know, like most of his film, he, he he was commercially successful and critically well received. Maybe not as good as the other ones. I think in, for the Western viewers, he had he had the misfortune of coming out at the same time as Park Chan Wook's The Handmaid, mm. uh, which which got all the press. Okay. Uh, so I'd like to, and we can we can talk about whatever. But I would also like to go back to my mention of melodrama. It's it's a fairly prominent feature in South Korean cinema. You can't have, you can't have South Korean films without a little bit of melodrama in it. But one thing that I think is adjacent to melodrama is fairy tales, and I do think this film has also a very fairy tale fairy tale like structure, which is maybe related to to. Uh, the interpretation of it being a fantasy. What do you think? In terms of fairy tale structure, could you define? Part of part of it's the blankness of the character. In fairy tales, you ne- you rarely get exposition of what it is. It's just the, uh, the Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf. You you don't you don't need an, an exposition to know that the Red Riding Hood, what her motivations are, and what the Big Bad Wolf and what his motivations are. So that's the first thing. It's sort of like the the tone of the film and the tone of the characterization, but also the music. Uh, it has a lot of uh, waltzes uh, hmm. part of the soundtrack, and I associate that with fairy tales for whatever reason. Maybe because just the, they're part of the romantic the, period, the time period. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's quite interesting. On the Tartan release, they've got D, uh, DVD extras, uh, and um, one of the extras is uh, cast and crew um, questioning each other, and um, the sound design crew um, ask the producer why they took out narration. So for all the pieces with waltzes, all the musical pieces, they actually had narration from the main character. And the producer felt that it was better to take them out uh, just and just have the music for the atmosphere. Oh, I, I, I am so glad of that decision. Yeah, you, you don't need to over-explain anything. You just let the aesthetics, the, the mise-en-scene speak. And the actions of the actor. And I had I had not heard of that, so I'm very glad you mentioned it. But I had read that the original opening and ending of the film also contained narration instead of the Buddhist parables that we get in the final version. Hmm. So that was that was uh, another great decision that they made, or another great reason to remove the narration from the film. It is like having that ambiguity is the hook for the film. Otherwise, it would just be entirely generic. Part part of it is also related to, you know, the, the, the like I mentioned, the fantasy interpretation of the film and, you know, him perceiving a different life as a fairy tale. And that's why, you know, fairy tales are happy. And that's why he's happy at the end, even though he's picturing himself die, uh, if, if you subscribe to that interpretation.
there is some uh, like nice detail that the director adds to sort of uh, speaking again to how great he, this film is about conveying character with very little with you know like you said just facial expressions body languages but also little things that happen for instance we, we did mention his apartment being a very a very good representation of his personality hmm. uh, another another little thing that struck me is uh when they have a fight in uh hisu's room when when uh what's what's the name of lee byun hoon's character in the film uh sun woo sun woo thank you uh, when he catches them with her boyfriend that she's cheating on the boss, on his boss, in their fight, they break the lamp that uh, that ah. Lee byun Hu just just delivered. brought her, uh, it's a delivered as the boss's gift. So I thought that was a very very nice piece, very nice metaphor of I, I, you know a, yeah. a relationship that is already broken. And he replaces that lamp with the red one, which is like the closest he gets to a declaration of love. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And speaking of which, I really I also appreciate the fact that. Uh, their love never, their relationship never, never goes anywhere. It never, it never consummates. I think that, like the world that he inhabits, how violent it is, contrasts with the world she inhabits and the freedom. And uh, how would you combine the two together? Yeah, and I also think it, it's an indication from a more story. Uh, story-wise it's an indication of how unstable his previous life is and is maybe another statement of her happiness because i think we can all agree that uh sun Wu thought he was leading a, a if not a happy a content life he never questions himself and exactly precisely and i think just how little it took to to kind of to expose the fragility of that contentment or that stability that he never questioned on that he thought he had and he struggles to articulate it even at the end <laughs> when he has the showdown with his boss he's asking why why me yeah precisely and and i think oh, now that you mentioned it if we again circling back to this fantasy thing i think that could be a, a third interpretation that we didn't mention maybe okay. his moment his moment in the mirror or not a mirror what's that the, 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 it's the window, window. Or shadow box yeah yeah, whatever that is. Maybe that is. Uh, maybe before that, he took he took the gift, his boss's gift, to he saw. He watched her from a distance, and nothing happened. None of that. None of that thing with her cheating happened. It was just a a very normal woman who you know was dating his boss, and and you know he goes back to the hotel, and he he can't understand his feelings for her so that story that he goes through in, that he crafts through in his head of of the whole thing going wrong is just the only way he knows how to how to understand his sudden feelings for he so yeah if that made any sense yeah it's it's a melodramatic interpretation of the world of the violent world he lives in and maybe he's influenced by uh, other korean movies absolutely uh, another another detail that i that that uh, that I noticed is the bar is called La Dolce Vita. Yeah, and the the name of the bar is um is between Kang and Sun Wu when they have their um showdown. Yeah, which is also the title of the film. And I don't know if it's a reference to the to the Italian film La Dolce Vita directed by Fellini. I haven't seen it. I don't know if you have. No, I haven't seen it either. I've seen a bunch of other Fellini films, but that one not sadly. Sadly, okay. Not. Uh, so I would like to, I don't know I would I'd like to I I I consider it but I just didn't have the time I would like to to maybe see if there is any obvious or if it's just uh, the irony of the title being the sweet life when uh, in the middle of a massacre yeah I I uh, we'd have to watch La Dolce 
Vita to find out. But uh, on the surface level, it's a very ironic title. Everything goes wrong for the character, so it's far from a sweet life. Unless you subscribe to the interpretation that that's the life that he wants, a life where he can overcome maybe the greatest challenge or a, you know, an impossible challenge, in fact. Yeah, or maybe he's content in the life of uh, being, servile, uh, being a servile gangster. And he likes, he likes the power and um, the accoutrements that come with it. All right. We should mention, because we've been going through all the elements, we did, we did already mention how fantastic the music is, but I believe it does mention a, a separate shout-out, that it is, it is a fantastic soundtrack. The, most, the thing that I always remember is the waltzes, but all, all, all across the board, this film has a fantastic score. It's like a spaghetti western theme um, when he goes to meet the gun runners, right? Yes, that's it. Uh, though, yeah, yes. So that that that's I think mainly what what the spaghetti western. Um, what reminds me of the film as a spaghetti western that is, and some of the plot elements like uh, going to an arms dealer. Uh, that's that's a very common trope of spaghetti western, hmm. like a some family member seeking revenge, like the the arms dealer's brother uh, hmm. going out and like a silent killer. That's a, another spaghetti western trope. But the one that stands out immediately is the a lot the music in. Um, in some of those scenes. I'd also like to highlight the black comedy uh, with the gunrunners. Like when he's... Oh, what scene are you referring to? Trying to assemble the gun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With a broken hand. And it's it starts off innocuous enough, but there's some tension because you're waiting for the moment. Um, his lie about being an errand boy sent to get guns is going to be rumbled. And you've seen his hand get crushed by the wrench and it starts off innocuous enough. It's a game where they're assembling the gun and then it turns into a very <laughs> real and horrible um, uh, gunfight. And I love the moment when um, the old lady, uh, one of the gun runners escapes and flees and an old lady intervenes. I won't say how, but she gives like a nice little character detail. It's like, oh, you sh you're drunk and shooting guns again, are you? Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, you know, you mentioned the, the his hand being uh, hit by a wrench. I mean, that that torture scene is brutal. But even there, he inserts comedy, like when he first wakes up and he's uh, hanging by a rope, and then there's an old lady cleaning the blood, mopping the blood uh, mm. under him. Uh, that was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, and uh, he ties it to a chair later on, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, he well, he ties the the her husband. Is it? Uh, it's it's the one of the gangsters, the torturer. He ties up. Yes. Yeah. And I forget what happened. What does he does he do anything to his wife? I think the wife is just um, sat down. Okay. Yeah. Maybe she's tied too. Yeah. Uh, there is a yeah. I mean the see. I mean the mise en scene and the music are great. Like there's a one scene in the end where again a waltz plays, mm. and uh, where he's finally going to the hotel where he's on his way to the boss and he's walking through a, a, a like a strangely lit hallway where there's lights on the walls and he's mm. like w and shoots and shoots the one of the bodyguards in the chest and blood splutters behind him it's uh, like those scenes nobody reacts to getting shot uh how i imagine would be in a realistic manner yeah but that 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 is like a dance almost mm. the way the it's way timed. that that yeah it's time precisely that one and also when he's tortured there's a a moment between the torture where the, the, the again the waltz plays and and you go he's tied up and they're waiting i think and the the camera goes through all the people that are around there first of all that's a great way that that's a great way to 
to just show the geometry of the place because that's going to pay off later when he escapes. But it's mm. so beautifully shown and so the camera moves so beautifully that it does seem like a dance. And the same thing happens on that on that scene where he's just walking through the hallway and then shoots the two people. Mm, I agree. And also shout out to the guys who are digging the second grave uh, even deeper. Uh, and the hilarious line when um, some Wu escapes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, judging from the grave, they hadn't done very far, so I guess it's it's not as bad. <laughs> yeah. Because it still looked pretty shallow from, from that angle. You could still see the heads. Yeah. All right. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add about the film? Uh, I don't, yeah, it could... Uh, inter- uh, okay, we'll carry on. All right. I mean, what I was going to move on next to is the reception of the film. The film was very well received, both in South Korea and internationally. Mm. It showed, I don't know if this was the premiere or if it was after it premiered, but it showed uh, showed out of competition. It was at at one o'clock in Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, and it received praise there. Yeah, uh, and, it, and it was nominated for several awards in Korea, although not not many international awards. Sadly, it it was nominated for a bunch of awards at the Grand Bell Awards, which which I think is the equivalent of Oscars. Although Korea has has a bunch of important awards, the Blue Dragon Awards and the Grand Bell Awards, and I think one of them is like the Oscars, and one of them is like the Golden Globes. I'm not sure which one is which, but. It, it it got a bunch of awards there. It 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 got only nominations, very few wins. One win was let me see who this actor is. Is the actor who played um, one of the not the main villain, not the main boss, but the younger boss who had like that cut in his oh bake uh, the son ba- ba- yeah. bake yeah yeah. Uh, so Huang Yung Min, Huang Jung Min. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. He received a best actor win, but everything else was nominated. So he was nominated for best director. Best film, best actor, um, what else? Best screenplay. Actually, no, it did not get best screenplay. Never mind. Uh, but I, 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 I forgot to make a list. But I'm just looking at the website. But it, it did get a, it, get, it did get a bunch of nominations. So this was definitely a well received film at the time. Yeah, I I checked what other South Korean films were released in 2005, and um, Duelist and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance were two standout titles. That's probably the most popular one. Hmm. Uh, let me think. Uh, any any other South Korean films that I, I would know? Oh, Crying Fist. I've seen that one. That's another one that stars Choi Min Sik. Oh. Uh, it's it's a it's a boxing film. It's 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 a pretty good one. Nothing nothing too memorable. But I don't think I've seen any. I'm looking at uh, the award list. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think I've seen any of these other films. Yeah, I think I think that's it. So they, it was probably not a very busy year for South. Oh, I think maybe Kim Ki Duk did a film that year. I think uh, Samaritan Girl was released. Okay, yeah, that might have been two thousand four. Let me double check because uh, he he was very prolific. So oh no, yeah, that was two thousand four. Both Three Iron and Samaritan Girl a girl was two thousand four. He did a film in two thousand five, but I have not seen it. A funny um, comment that came out of the Tart and Asia Extreme um, uh, extras, and it, uh, I'll look on YouTube to see if I can find them, but uh, because there's some great content on there. But um, a funny comment: um, Kim Ji Woon was asked uh, during a press conference how he would describe the film, and he said, uh, "Or he would naturally call it a cross between a French film called Melville." and um, Kill Bill. But then he admitted it was bad marketing because nobody in Korea knew about the film Maleville and Kill Bill had flopped. 
So he would be better off describing it as a mix between the Terminator and Die Hard. No, uh, that's fine. I can't. I can't. I can't imagine it as as anything to do with a term- Terminator or Die Hard. But that's a that's a funny comment. Yeah, as, as like uh, I, like the final scene in the hotel is definitely definitely has those Kill Bill vibes. But uh, yes. Sun Wu also has the Terminator vibes because he's walking through a location that's just blowing people away. Yes. Uh, let me read a little bit of the final response to one of the interviews, and I'm going to link this to the website, of course. But the interviewer asks, what about the very final shot of the film? And he says, Lee Byun-hoon says, this is a key sequence expressing the essence of the character. It is an effective manner of projecting the character's inner self to the exterior. San Wu is a character whose ideas of himself is entirely determined by the ideas others have for him. And we've, we talked about this. He thinks of himself only as reflected in other people's view of him, and he believes to be like that. He is a character who is, has never questioned himself before. In the last scene, when Sun Wu boxes against his reflection, I want to convey the idea that in the battle against himself, he lost. That's I'm not sure exactly about that part, but I suppose it does make sense. And then lastly, he says, if you look carefully at the ending, you'll notice that his reflection disappears. Uh, disappears first, leaving only the glass... Uh, in the outside panorama before the credits. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and the and the idea you did mention you did mention the existentialist themes, uh, bef- uh, and and the idea of self perception as as another in the eyes of others is a very existential thing. It's like thirteen chapters in Sartre's book. <laughs> mm. It's all he talks about. So yeah, it's it's you know the 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 self as a as a subject and the self as an object, which is what you what what will be equivalent to seeing yourself through other people's eyes is a uh, is a very much at the for- forefront of this film, and we did talk about it, not in so many words, but it is. I do agree with you that it is central to the film, and it's it's fantastic how he manages to accomplish that with, you know, such a bare bones story, and you know, so such so minimalistically. Yes, absolutely. And on a on a very basic level, um, like the battle uh, against I, you mentioned a battle against himself, and it's like he refuses. Well, the the, the director mentioned it. I the, just read it. <laughs> uh, the director mentions the battle against himself, and um, yeah, he refuses to say I am sorry. And then the gang boss um, uh, tells the story of uh, another gangster who uh, failed to admit he was wrong. Yeah, that's a very jarring story. I mean, it happens. It happens a, a few scenes earlier, I think, and a few scenes before that story. You hear how Sun Wu had, I believe, I made the connection that he had dealt with the previous gangster who refused to admit he was wrong by um, getting rid of his hand. Yes, yes, that, that's a, such an easy thing to miss too, um, because it's so, so, so briefly mentioned. I see this. This film's full of so many subtle uh, ideas, and it's so brilliantly executed with that South Korean flair. So it elevates a generic story. Yeah, and uh, one thing, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I I I don't have any uh, any I don't have all the scenes pictured in my head. But you rarely see the the gangsters doing any explicit illegal activities in the film, right? For all all you see them do is doing business. And of course, the fighting is normal, but that's that that's a that's a gray area because not all fighting is illegal, I guess. But they're they're just if all you see them doing is doing business, negotiating deals and contracts, and you could you could see this as just a them representing capitalism in a sense. I don't know if that's a stretch, but correct me. 
do is there any scene where it shows them like selling drugs or anything like that? No. Uh, like the scenes that gangsters are just hanging around, and if we take your interpretation that the, the, the Samu is a lowly hotel clerk, for example, or manager, like that's the only side of the gangsters that he would actually see. He would not see the criminal enterprise. Ab- absolutely, yeah, and I think that's because I mean that 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 inter- that criticism of capitalism would not be nothing new. You know, uh, the corporations suck the life out of their employers. That's a very common theme so that i think that could be ah yeah and he's dedicated himself and it's like what have i what have i got after all this exactly yeah you know the the nine to five type of thing the soul drenching I, I gave you my loyalty i gave you my best years and this is how you treat me exactly it, you could you could verbatim put that into a story about you know uh, someone being betrayed by their their job and it would mm. it would fit exactly the same thing of course it wouldn't end in a shootout but you never know <laughs> I think a lot of people <laughs> probably do imagine that on a bad day. Oh, maybe, maybe that's what he's fantasizing is just, you know, another day at the office and he's just, damn, if I only, if I could only take this one step further. Yeah. If I could, if I was good with my fists, this is how I would sort it out. <laughs> yeah. Cause that, that's another thing, you know, cause what, I don't know. I, I mean, it, of course it is possible, but I find it hard to believe that a gangster would feel the need to shadow box. That doesn't sound very gangstery to me. I suppose that's, so that keys into again your interpretation that he aspires to this sort of macho image, but it could just be him having fun. He's just smiling. He's like, "I'm still alive, and uh, I, I exist in this world, but I'm alive." Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I think I think it's a it's a great film, and I do think to dismiss it as a purely commercial, as a purely entertaining, as a film that is just entertaining, I think would be a mistake. I think there's a lot of layers that can be explored into this film, in addition to enjoying the hell out of it. Yeah, we we spent so long talking about the various ambiguities, and you were able to go into so much depth about how this might be a fairy tale or not. Uh, that yeah, like that depth, other people uh, will be able to tap into it. So it's not just a generic action movie; it's one with so many themes that people can talk about for a long time. Absolutely. All right. So unless you have anything to add, we can maybe give it a, a star score. And I would also like, if you want, to maybe. Where do you rank it in Kim Ji Woon's filmography? So uh, I would put A Tale of Two Sisters and A Quiet Family joint first. And um, Bittersweet Life second. Uh, Good, Bad and Weird third. And I Saw the Devil fourth. Uh, In terms of... uh, a star uh, rating, I would give it a four and a half or a four. I think I, in a fair world, I think I would give it a four star just like you. Hmm. But I think because we're talking about gateway films, I think this is a great film to get someone into Asian cinema. Hmm. Because it's so it's so accessible. There's You don't have to get any weird cultural reference. I don't want to say weird. Any any uh, foreign cultural references or something that you're not familiar with. It's a very straightforward action film that literally anybody from any part of the world can can enjoy. And I think that makes makes a great gateway into at least South Korean cinema. Yeah, uh, Kim Ji Woon's um, again the philosophical side to things and the aesthetics. Kim Ji Woon's eye for aesthetics really lifted up. Absolutely, and that's why I would give it a five star because okay. of that. I think if if I if uh, because I think it does that job very good. 
Um, it's a, it deserves four, but I, I give it a five because of that. As a rating, like you, I would put um, uh, The Quiet Family first. Uh, I would put this second, A Bittersweet Life second. Uh, I would put maybe uh, A Tale of Two Sisters and The Foul King joint third. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, The Foul King is a very funny film. Uh, it's a great comedy. That's one I have not seen yet. I, I strongly recommend it. It's it's so funny. Okay. Uh, so after that, I would put, I think just like you, I would put The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. Uh, and uh, I Saw the Devil after that. And then I would put uh, the um, Gene Raw Dead Last. Okay. I haven't watched that one either. As a big fan of the original anime, I'm kind of wary. It's it's a disappointment. I think I... I, I think I can say that safely. I know I know our tastes don't match up perfectly, but I think I I'm, I can safely say you will be a disappointment. Not only not only disappointment disappointment compared to the original, but also I think just as a Kim Ji Woon film or as a science fiction film, there's just no angle that you can save this film. It's just disappoint a disappointment on all fronts. Okay. I, I've reviewed it for V Cinema. If anybody is interested in checking it out. I'll set my expectations. In fact, I won't set my expectations low. I'll just keep this one in, on the back burner. Yeah, I mean, I, I still recommend watching it. It has some interesting visuals and action scenes. It's not, it's not irredeemable, but I just think it's, it's, it's not what I was expecting when I saw it. That's okay. all I'm going to say. Okay. And it's definitely a lot more melodramatic than the original. Um, uh, that's. I think it's just in by necessity it ramps up the melodrama to a hundred. <laughs> I, I, it, I'm curious about it because I would like to uh, review the two and uh, compare and contrast. There is an interesting part in it. Um, I think the, the, maybe the, my favorite part of that film is, the, uh, which I also think it's in the original, is the Red Riding Hood parable. Hmm. Uh, there's a part uh, where one character, and I think that's in the anime too, right? Hmm. I believe so. They talk... Yeah, and there's there's uh, one character is telling another character, and I forget which to which, but it happens at some point in the middle of the film, the story of the Red Riding Hood, and uh, that's beautifully done the way he does it. Uh, hmm. It's it's very nice with s- some sort of animation. Uh, that's very nicely done, and um, we, we did mention fairy tales, and there's another fairy tale, fairy tale and another Kim Ji Woon film. Hmm. But okay. other than that, I think the rest is uh, very generic. Okay. All right. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add before we close it off, James? Jason, sorry. I don't know why I said James. <laughs> uh, that happens in my workplace sometimes. Uh... It's, I, it's, it's happened in my, my head a few times, but I, I don't think I've ever said it out loud, but in my head, I always call you James. Or half the time, I call you James. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, no, I think, yeah, we could close it out for now. Okay, so I'll post, as usual, I'll post all the relevant links and trailers in the website. I'll post a a link to our Twitter feeds Mm -hmm. uh, where you can follow us if you wish to. I I don't have much to say on social media, but Jason is very active, so be sure to follow him there. Okay. (laughs) And as always, uh, this has been the Heroic Purgatory Asian Cinema Podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.